All right, have you, do you have your Bibles? Okay, we're going to read them. We're going to read them in just a minute, but before I do, uh, I found this on the, uh, on the podium this morning. This is a mayonnaise jar, and it says, this is not scripture. We will not read our Bibles like they are the back of a mayonnaise jar. All right, very good. Lots of help, lots of help at this church. Lots of help. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts. Thank you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know that at Heritage, people don't really know the meaning of the, of the word rhetorical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rich, again, proving, though, even though he, no, he doesn't. Uh, what is the gospel? That's rhetorical. What is the gospel? How many of you have heard differing versions of the gospel? Different versions of the gospel. And I want to say at the outset, I, this is not me some, with some sort of a setup to be critical of how people present the gospel. Not necessarily. There are places to analyze that and to reflect, and, and there are different things. But Here's the, 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 the really cool thing. How many of you are aware of and grateful for this fact, that God does not wait for our doctrine to be perfect before he will respond to our faith? As a matter of fact, the Lord, he can sniff out faith and overlook the smell of a lot of other things. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? That doesn't, it's not that, it's not that being right isn't important, but it's just that faith is so much more attractive to God. He can just deal with a lot of our mess if he can find faith. So that being said, we need to, we do, we do want to ask the question like, okay, but the gospel is pretty important. So how many of you have heard different versions of the gospel? Perhaps you've heard, you've heard uh, one really famous one that starts like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, right? That's part of Billy Graham's little track. You open it up, and that's the first thing, and then there's different pages, and then there's, there's a road, and there's a bridge. There's pictures, right? Those are all very good. My, growing up, my brother, Bradley, and I roasted him yesterday, so I might as well roast him at nine. Um, uh, I actually have a brother. Maybe you didn't know that, and that's because he doesn't ever come here to see me. But... He does love the Lord. He and his family love Jesus, and they're doing fine. He just doesn't come here, which is fine. You know, I'm the little brother. If you look up in the Bible, little brothers just don't get a very good rap. But anyway, my brother, growing up, he had a shirt, a gospel shirt, and the gospel shirt simply said, turn or burn. (laughs) Not wrong. Pastor Jess would say, Jesus isn't giving that guy a high five, but, but not wrong, right? Um, uh, sometimes it's as simple as, hey, why don't you just come hang out with Jesus, man? And that's cool. All right, cool. Again, there's a lot of ways to approach this that I'm so glad that Jesus is more just, he's just deeply and profoundly attracted to our faith. But let's ask that question. What is the apostolic gospel? Now, when I say apostolic, I don't necessarily want you to reach back into some whatever, however frame of reference that might mean, like, 
like Apostolic Lutheran or way that, that I'm not talking about a church culture or how people live. When we say apostolic, particularly as those who would call ourselves Pentecostals, we kind of have a thing where we believe that we're apostolic, and, and uh, meaning we are we believe that we are restorationists. We like we like we like our truth fresh off the page. And I, and I don't not that others don't, but we again, as part of our culture is we just like give it to me fresh off the page, fresh off the ink. So when we say apostolic, we mean what is the gospel. Uh, in relationship to its earliest proclamation. How did the apostles announce the good news? And, and why, is that, why that's so important is because the answer to that question, well, the gospel itself must tell us this, these, must answer these two questions. Who is Jesus? And how can we know that he saves us? The answers to those questions then will, will, will profoundly affect how we believe. They will, they will determine, they will influence our hope. They will orient our lives. The gospel was never intended to fit into your life. Apart from, aside from the 30 or 40 years of North American soft, uh, soft theology of always asking the, asking the question, well, how does this fit into my life? It doesn't you fit into it (laughs) the gospel doesn't fit into a compartment into your life for you to file you live your life for and because of the gospel (laughs) so let's read this together i'll read this from uh i'm going to be reading from the new american standard uh and uh, i'm going to be picking up at acts 2 verse 22 and i'm going to read through verse 41 we'll pick up verse 40 verse 42 next week it'll be so great bible's very exciting all right, it's definitely not a manager jar. You ready? So here it is. Now, I'm. it's possible I'll interrupt myself. Uh, <laughs> Verse 22, here's Peter. We have just, he just finished explaining that this, this is that and quoting about the day of Pentecost. And now, in light of the events of Pentecost, in light of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Listen the words coming out of my mouth (laughs) listen to these words jesus we're going to get there but the gospel always begins with jesus jesus the nazarene a man attested to you with miracles and wonders and signs mercy all i get is laura lee to help me i can always count on her (laughs) miracles wonders and signs Here's the deal. I want to talk about it again, but I don't mind saying it more than once. The the gospel is always presented apostolically. The gospel is always announced with a Jesus who does miracles. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a deliverer. God works miracles through Jesus. He did, he does, and he will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then apart from the announcement, apart from the demonstration of the miraculous, it is not an apostolic gospel. But that's later on in our notes. Let's keep going. Just as you yourselves know, verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead. 
putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Verse 25, for David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue overjoyed. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You've made known to me the ways of life. You you make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he's both dead and was buried and his tomb is with us today. So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. So Peter is saying, David speaks by the Holy Spirit and the scriptures are, are testifying to, they are anticipating the resurrection of Christ. He was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. It is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out. We went over that two weeks ago. Somebody say poured out. out. That's generous. That's copious. That's a lot. He has poured out this, which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended to heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, including Matthias, Brothers, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children. How many are glad for that? Yeah, for both both of us, you don't have to you don't have to graduate to get the Holy Ghost. Right. <laughs> Woo! For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far away. How many are glad for that? Yes. As many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. Verse forty and forty one. People sometimes don't get all the way to this part. Listen, and with many other words. Some versions say, and Peter kept on talking on and on. It's in the Bible, so. (laughs) And with many other words, he kept solemnly, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. What you need to hear there is Peter urging people to turn away from the fact, the eventual fact of judgment. He has He has painted the picture of hope, pointed at it, and now is urging them, urging them to to turn toward it. Verse 41, so then those 
who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Amen should go there. That's a good place to say so be it. 3,000 souls. So the apostolic gospel, what what you just heard Peter say is really exciting. So that is the first time since the outpouring of Pentecost that the gospel was preached. What you just heard was the first, the hot off the presses, prototype of of the apostolic gospel. And what you will hear as we go through the text in the book of Acts, when, they, when, when Luke records other sermons or other preaching, other gospel presentations, you will always hear these fundamental components over and over again. And we'll be sure to recognize them. But what are, what, what did we just hear? What did Peter just emphasize? What are the claims of the apostolic gospel? Well, we won't go verse by verse necessarily, but we'll go point by point. You ready? First of all, Peter says, listen to these words, Jesus. Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel begins with Jesus. And you don't necessarily, there is not necessarily a need for you to try to build a bridge to Jesus. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is God coming. He made, he came, God came in the flesh. That's the bridge. (laughs) You can start with him. The gospel is about Jesus. And it's important that the first thing Peter emphasizes about Jesus, and that he does it again and again, we'll see it often, is that Jesus of Nazareth was a miracle worker. And he still is. He is the same yesterday today and forever the gospel the hope of the gospel always includes the announcement that god is intervening in our life if you want to speak about it theologically the power of the age to come is breaking in today to call our hearts to respond in trusting obedience god was testifying peter says god was testifying about jesus That's important because he still does. Every single miracle, at the bottom of it, the signature on that miracle is the name Jesus. You may leave here today, Tiffany, and go raise 14 people from the dead. But at the go ahead and do it. But but the glory will it will not be look what Tiffany did. The glory will be look what that God has glorified his servant Jesus. Now that should give you confidence. That God isn't waiting for you to be perfect like he's not waiting for your doctrine to be perfect. He's, but he is anxious for somebody to believe. Yes. Yes. The gospel claims, the gospel is about Jesus. Secondly, the gospel claims that Jesus was crucified. Jesus Christ was crucified. He was crucified according to the plan of God, but by the hands of men. So we understand this is, this is the, the, the Christ's crucifixion was heaven's design, but it was affected, it was accomplished by the guilty hands of mankind. We understand that the crucifixion was God's plan, but man is culpable. It is the recognition of our own sin. Jesus Christ was crucified. But the gospel always claims that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
Jesus Christ rose from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. And when you read verses 25 through 32, what you're hearing is his resurrection from the dead was according to the scriptures. That's why we say that phrase when we read those creeds at our communion Sundays, that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. That means the scriptures, as we go through them, all testify the spirit of the Lord speaking through the writers of scripture, all anticipate that Messiah would be raised from the dead. It was God's plan that he was crucified and and by God's power, he was raised. And... We'll hear it more than once. Jesus' resurrection was attested to by historical witnesses. People witnessed him, saw him alive. Verse 33 claims that the gospel claims that Jesus has been exalted. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he has been exalted. Somebody say exalted. He, we, they saw him ascend, but Peter said he has, he has ascended, and he has been exalted to the right hand of God. Literally, he is the right hand of God. He is at the place of highest honor in the cosmos. (laughs) He's been exalted and the gospel claims in that same verse that because of that place that Jesus has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. And verse 33, the gospel claims that Jesus has poured out this promise. The gospel, the, the apostolic gospel, Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus was crucified by God's plan and by the hand of men before our sin, for our sin, but he was raised to life by God. It was God's plan that he was crucified, God's power that he was raised, and Jesus Christ has been exalted. And we know he has been exalted because he has poured out the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is always an essential part of the apostolic gospel. He has, it, this, and this promise, Peter said, has been seen and heard. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine that's been distributed. It's a person, an experience, a presence, a power in our life. Verse 34 and 36, Peter says, Therefore, know for certain. Somebody say for certain. certain. Therefore, know for certain. Meaning that which they had seen and heard. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the living assurance and the influence of the exalted Christ. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the activity and the influence by which we know for certain that Jesus Christ is exalted. Consider that that, that's the biblical message. There, of course, is a place for what we call apologetics. There's a place for for us to research the facts of history and see that the facts of history bear out that Jesus of Nazareth lived and that he was executed and that he was buried legally and officially and that that legal official burial was never resolved because that he, he rose from the dead and they could never produce a body and there were witnesses and they gave their lives and testimony of his resurrection. I mean, yes, there is a host of solid reasons out there, apologetic reasons for us to say, yes, the facts of history bear out that our faith is reasonable. But that has never 
been the, go- the apostolic gospel's main thrust. It's, yes, it's right there. Yes, there were witnesses. But the apostolic gospel is this. We know that Jesus is exalted because he has poured out the Spirit. See, being, being people of the Holy Spirit, welcoming, yielding to his manifest influence is absolutely essential to the effectiveness, the authenticity of the gospel. Because I talk fast, I want to make sure we hear that again. Being people of the Spirit, receiving and submitting, cooperating with His ongoing manifest influence is absolutely essential to the authenticity and the effectiveness of the gospel. Because of that, verse 37, they were pierced to the heart, it says. The gospel is felt. It's not just learned. Of course, there are things that we can learn. We can learn the facts of the gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, raised, exalted. But the gospel is not something that we don't, we aren't affected by it. We aren't transformed by it simply by knowing about it. The gospel happens to us. The gospel happens to us. It is not effective enough. It has not become effective in our life simply by uh, uh, cognitive acquiescence. Even in North America, people have a, a familiarity with the gospel. I'm not saying that they know it in their hearts, but they are familiar with it enough. But that familiarity has no impact on their life, no saving influence. Remember years ago, it was Easter time, and I was driving down the road, and I saw a billboard uh, uh, made by PETA. Now, I, I'm not trying to be overly or un, underly political here, but it was PETA. And, and people for the ethical treatment of animals, we like animals, uh, but they had a pig on the billboard. And it was Easter time. And they said, he'll die for your sins. He, the pig, will die for your sins. Meaning you're going to eat a pig on Easter. And the, the double entendre was, they were, it was about Jesus. So they knew enough of the gospel to be able to mock it. Dad, what's your point? I'm saying that if there is any limited effectiveness of the gospel, it is not for lack of knowledge. You can pull up your phone right now, Google, how to get saved. You'll get a bazillion hits. And they're all pretty good, most of them. Tell you, tell the, the, you'll get the ABCs of salvation, you know, acknowledge, believe, confess, all that. It's not for a lack of knowledge. If, if there is a lack of effectiveness in the gospel, it is not because people haven't heard it, per se. It's because they haven't felt it. Only the Holy Spirit can take the truth of the gospel and arrest the human heart. Again, this is why we must be people who are utterly, delightfully, passionately dependent upon the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 37 through 39, we also find that the gospel requires a do from you. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And you know what Peter did not say? Nothing. He didn't say, oh, you don't have to do anything. It's all been handled for you. Peter wasn't a universalist. He didn't say, oh, don't worry. It's already been done. It's all mystically wrapped up. Nope, he didn't say that. Now, nor did he say you have a lot to do or you have everything to do or, oh, boy, you don't know what you got to do. He didn't say that you have to do it all, but nor did he say you have, nor is there nothing for you to do. He didn't say there's anything for you to earn, achieve, acquire, or work for. What did he say we have to do? Repent. Repent. The first step in following Jesus is always, and really often, (laughs) repentance. If you're going this way, and Jesus is going this way, you need to repent. You've got to turn around. You've got to turn away from your affection for sin, your desire for sin, your insistence on rebelling against God. Got to recognize, I need to turn around. Turn toward Christ. Somebody say repent. The next thing he says is be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized. We've said it before. That we can, people love to make a small argument that, you know, if you're, you know, if, I, if I'm in a plane and I fall out of the plane and I call in the name of the Lord, I'll, I, I can get to heaven. And I didn't get baptized. True. But none of you are falling out of a plane. You're not on a desert island or whatever crazy argument you make. The biblical norm is if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you're baptized. If you haven't been, and if you have the ability to be baptized and you've chosen not to, you are not functioning as a disciple of Jesus. If you were, dis- and if, hey, if you were disciple, if you were, if you experienced baptism, you know, years ago or in a different scenario and it, maybe it's lost its sense of meaning or you, maybe you feel like, you know, I don't even think I knew what I was doing. Hey, guess what? We love to baptize you. Yes. It's always the right time to do the right thing. It's always the right time to do the right thing. July 3rd and 4th, we're ready for you. Be baptized. He said you need to repent and be, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he said, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? What must we do? You must receive That's, a, that's a, a passive experience that I'm being told to do. You must receive the gift. Repent, be baptized, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the word receive. Receive. This, listen, right away, right away, I, I don't want to get too past this. Right away, you need to hear that the gospel began, the apostolic gospel began with an immediate anticipation. There was an anticipation of an immediate response. Again, growing up, maybe some of you, the gospel was presented in a way that sounded like, hey, you know, you need to receive Christ so that you'll go to heaven when you die. How many are very glad for that part? 
How many are glad that death has lost its sting? Yes. How many are glad that death has been overcome? Yes. How many are glad that I'm, you're going to close your eyes on this side and open your eyes on the other side? Yes. Every, anybody in this room glad for heaven? Yes. Is any, I just want to make it clear. Is anybody in this room glad for heaven? Yes. Me too. And the, also, I don't want to say but, but and the apostolic gospel, the first immediate presentation of expectation, the anticipation presented isn't you need to go to heaven. It is you need to receive the Holy Spirit. That's the immediate anticipation of the apostolic gospel. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is the fountainhead of all of our Christian life and experience. And he, this gift, needs to be received. Everybody say receive. receive. Okay, how many know that word is lamb- lambano? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. I just lambanoed my wife's Bible. Lambano. coming for your ah, lambano it's very nice Thank you. Yeah, these are, I, don't, I need to remember who you've hidden your phone from me today <laughs> lambano is Greek it's a, the Greek word is to take or receive it's the same word so when the word receive here implies an active receiving so many times people have said maybe you've heard them say hey you know whatever the Lord wants for me You know, if he wants it for me, I'll have it. And then they just kind of, yeah, you know what the Lord doesn't often respond to? Your indifference. Right. That's good. That's good. (laughs) I've lambanoed. To lambano means to take or to receive. It is to, it is, yes, it is is a gift freely given. Nobody so far, thank God, has argued with me about me taking their Bible. But although it was freely offered to me, who was this one? Oh, Lori. Okay. Although they were all, they were all freely offered to me, except for my wife who said, mm-mm. All of them were freely offered, but I still actively received. And this is the idea when it, of, of the promise of the Spirit. Jesus has paid for this gift. Jesus has prayed for. He has poured out. Remember the massive generosity implied in that. He has poured out the Spirit. And he is a gift for all who will. Ooh, you ready? Now listen, if you say Lambano, there are people, I, don't, I know how this may sound a little bit pretentious, but there are people all over the world that when they see me, when I come back and visit them, they reach their hands up in the air and they say Lambano. Because <laughs> they know that means I'm here to receive, to actively receive a free gift of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Lambano. Lord, you're part of the apostolic gospel. The promise of the apostolic is that I get to receive what you have freely offered me, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two more things about the apostolic gospel, and that is the gospel is the only way to be saved. We will see that time and again. Peter will say it. Others will say it. But here in verse 40, we hear it again. He urges his audience to heed his words so that they can be saved from this perverse generation. The implications there is judgment is coming and Jesus is the only way to be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Speaking of which, verse 41, here's the great promise for us. The gospel will save people. 3,000 received Lambano. They received his word. It was freely offered, but it was up to them to hear it and to receive that word. And it's freely up to you today. I know a whole bunch of you in the room. Some of you I know pretty well. Some of you I don't know that well. There's a whole bunch of you. I don't don't know you. (laughs) Meaning I don't know where your heart is. I don't know whether you have received this word. The gospel. Have you received it? Have you made it yours? Have you, Jesus Christ is God's free gift to you, his offer of salvation, but have you received it? How do you know if you have received it? Have you repented? Have you repented of your sin? Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? And have you or will you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? It will save you. And I think it's good news. 3,000 people. 3,000 people. 3,000. We're believing for how many? That was in a day. And that was probably a long day. Right? Because they had to interview them all, you know. Right? And they had to go through the thing and do the thing and then on the water. So that probably took a while. How many believe that, well, we're still going to start with our goal of 10,000. How many believe that the gospel is powerful enough to save a lot more? So who is Jesus? And how can we know that he saves us? Jesus Christ was crucified to free us from our sin. And he rose again to give us eternal life. Jesus Christ has poured out the Holy Spirit who is the assurance and the influence of His saving power. Jesus Christ offers forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who will repent and be baptized. And for those who will not, only judgment awaits. This is the apostolic gospel. This is what we claim. This is what we believe. This is why we live and what we live for. Is there anybody that has one more amen? Amen. Let's stand together as we close. Could I have some of my, my deacons and ministry leaders come and join me quickly at the front? pastoral staff, anybody that can come and help me. Just come and stand and face those that are here. I'm going to ask our musicians to begin. We're going to close in prayer. And I want to remind you that in the cafe, there's lots of food and fellowship and fun to have and people to love on and be loved on by. But right now, we want to pray. We want to pray. Are here touching every 
you don't have confidence that you have received this word you need to be saved i'm going to ask if you'd like for us to to pray with you this morning we invite you to come and be with us there are those who will lead you in prayer in repentance and faith in jesus christ you need to be baptized get ready we'll do that in a couple of weeks you hear this morning and you say i don't know I just, I don't know all about the Holy Spirit, but I'm not satisfied with that. But I heard you talking about receiving. Will someone pray with me today that I would receive the Holy Spirit? Or even if you just say, it's, I feel dry, I, I need to receive a refreshing or a renewal of His presence in my life. Let's pray together. We can receive the Holy Spirit. And finally, friends, Jesus Christ is a miracle worker. If you need healing, you need help. You need blessing. You need breakthrough. You need God to intervene in your life today. Jesus Christ is a miracle worker. If you need prayer today for any reason, would you come as as they sing that chorus again? Let's pray together. We're going to hang back and wait with anybody who would like to pray. Come on, let's pray together. If you need to go, you certainly can. But let's pray together right now.